Well, good evening, everyone. As we gather together for our experience of Lectio Divina, or the divine reading, which is an ancient tradition of the church, to meditate upon the Word of God. It is not the study of Scripture, but rather praying sacred Scripture. And then we'll just ask God to let go all those things in our hearts which turn us away from the Lord, things which are weighing us down. The great, uh, one of the great early spiritual leaders of the church, Origen, said that the Lord needs, needs to make a pathway to our hearts. And so often we have things that block the pathway. It's whether it's our worries or maybe our sins, maybe different things. And so we pray the Lord to let there be a pathway to our hearts. And then the great prayer of Lexu Divina is, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. It is from the prayer of young Samuel in the temple of the Lord, asking that we might hear, to hear the word of God, not just physically with our ears, but that we might hear with our hearts, that we may have a listening heart to what God is saying to each one of us. And each one of us is different. And so, although it is one word, one Lord, one God, um, in our own individual situations, God will speak to us perhaps in different ways. I remember years ago when I began to become more interested in how to pray this form of ancient prayer called Lectio Divina or Divine Reading, I went to, um, to Italy, to Milan, and a person there who had done this very much spoke of, first of all, doing an explanation of the Word of God, and then as they read the passage, to say, what does this passage, this line, this small portion, what does it say to my head, to my heart, to my hands? It's just like I remember a couple of years ago when I was in grade one, um, well, maybe more than a couple of years ago, we, we had, why did God make us? To know, to love, and to serve. To know, to love, to serve. And so we should always, whenever we read the sacred scriptures, Think of what does this passage say to my head, that I may know the Lord more, to my heart, that I may love him, and to my hands, that I may do something about it, that it may come like see, judge, and act. One of the basic models for how we, we live our life in Christ. So the passage today, we're going for the last two years, now we're into the third year. Uh, I've, I've been doing this for about 15 years within either the cathedral in Edmonton or in Toronto, but now it's being renovated. So I'm very happy to be traveling around and to visit here St. Peter's Parish. And I'll be going to different parishes throughout the diocese. But we'll be looking at meditating and praying the whole of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, and I've broken it up into basically 30 chunks of about 10, 15, 20 verses each. And so this evening it's chapter 12, verses 18 to 40. This is a passage where uh, we see a lot of contention. Uh, this last time, the last portion of St. Mark, the Pharisees were coming out to get Jesus. This is just before we begin approaching the passion, death, and resurrection of the Lord. So the Pharisees were saying, you know, what do you do, Caesar? Who, who do we worship? You know, Caesar, Lord, or so render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, to God the things that are God's. Now it's the Sadducees who are coming after the Lord. So he's surrounded by enemies. And you know, the Sadducees were people who did not believe in the resurrection. That is why they were sad, you see. <laughs> well, I don't think that's the real reason for their name, but it's a good way to remember. The Sadducees were kind of a wealthy group, and they didn't believe in anything other than the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So our Lord, when he replies to them, he only refers to those books, because he, he goes to where they are. They wouldn't believe in the other books of the Bible, so he went to where they did believe. And that's a good lesson for us. We should, you know, it's just like St. Thomas Aquinas when dealing with an atheist, he doesn't quote the prophets. No, you, you go to where people are. And then, so the Sadducees were getting caught up in all kinds of really picky questions, trying to trap Jesus. And so he deals with that. Then a scribe came to ask the most profound question of all, what is, what are the great, what's the great commandment? And so we have this profound portion of the sacred scriptures where the Lord unites as no one really had done before. You shall love the Lord your God with heart and mind and soul. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Deuteronomy and then Leviticus 19.18. I remember years ago when I was studying the sacred scriptures over in Rome, I remember reflecting upon why did he put these together? Because no one seemed to have done this before. Love of God, love of neighbor. 
But what he is quoting is the fundamental Jewish prayer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with heart and mind and soul. But he adds to it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And when the Jewish people in his time would pray the Shema or the Hero Israel, they'd also pray the Ten Commandments. And there's some little manuscripts that connected the Ten Commandments with the Hero Israel. And of course, the Ten Commandments are first three is love God, last seven is love neighbor. So that may be why Jesus made the connection as he was praying what we just did, evening prayer, the prayer of the church for the Jewish people, it's Hero Israel. He made out of his liturgy of the hours, he created and he made this combination, which is so profound in our lives. So now we will enter into Lectio Divina. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's ask the Lord to free us from all those sins that block the pathway to our hearts. Pride, anger, envy, greed, laziness, lust, gluttony. These things prevent us from hearing God and hearing our neighbor. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Away with all those things, those worries and cares that burden our hearts and so occupy and distract us so we do not see and hear the Lord God or the cry of our neighbor. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the wife and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no children. And the second took her and died, leaving no children. And the third likewise, and the seven left no children. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Jesus said to them, is not this why you are wrong, that you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the first of all? And Jesus answered, the first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other than he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any question. And as he taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? David himself, inspired by the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I put thy enemies under thy feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes 
who like to go about in long robes and to have salutations in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And Sadducees came up to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the wife and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and when he died, left no children. And the second took her and died and leaving no children. And the third likewise, and the seven left no children. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. How low they're aiming, these Sadducees. They're out there to trap the Lord. And their view of the resurrection, they, they, they try to paint a kind of a ridiculous picture of it, and they get this complicated question to trap the Lord. How often we can get caught up in things like that. Things which are not really of God. They're using religion to trap another person. And they're using clever language to try to prove in some way that his faith in the resurrection is foolish because they make this complicated vision of different people marrying and so on. They were following from something found in the Law of Moses, a tradition of the Old Testament, in the very first books of the Bible, which they believed and they accepted, that when uh, of a brother, if a man died without children, his brother would marry his wife and raise up children for the brother who had died. That was part of the Old Testament. It's also part of what has been done away with now. It is gone. For Christ, not Moses, is the one who sets the way before us. And all those things which are of old, which are not of Christ, are brought to fulfillment. And this is not one of the things which we, we follow. But they made it into a very complicated thing, using language to trap our Lord Jesus, as we can so often use clever little things and language and words to trap other people. And so as we look at the attitude of the Sadducees, maybe we should say, how often have I been that way in my own life? Have I used even things of religion to come down against someone else? It's like sometimes, you know, if you, I occasionally make the mistake of looking through different blogs and things like that. And you hear, you see the all kinds of good Catholics whomping one another, you know, using language to trap as a net rather than as a light that illuminates. And so the Sadducees were, first of all, using something from the Bible. It was a, an actual piece of the Old Testament of the books of Moses, not to ask a sincere question to find out what does it mean, but using the Bible to hit someone. There's, there's a great line in the Jewish teachers says, you shall not make an ax out of the Torah, out of the Word of God. Do not make an axe out of the law of God. And I'm afraid that's what the Sadducees are doing. How often have you and I done that? Made an axe out of our faith to hit other people rather than to love them, help them, serve them, and come to the Lord. Let's humbly ask God's forgiveness for the times we've acted like the Sadducees with their hostile attitude in their religious disputing. May the Lord forgive us for that. The Sadducees came to him who say there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question. Maybe it was because they had so limited an understanding that they, caught up, they got caught up in all these little 
eddies and whirlpools of language. They did not believe in the resurrection because there's no reference to it in the first books of the Bible, although actually our Lord shows them a reference a bit later on in the passage today, a way that makes them recognize the resurrection. They had a, a very small view of their faith. They did not believe in life after death. They had a constricted view of faith. And so they got caught up in this pettiness, a thing which all of us have to reflect upon. We can become petty in our relationship with God and with our neighbor. They did not have a vision of the resurrection, of the greater vision of God's plan for each one of us. And so because they were narrow and constricted, they got caught up in this kind of strange narrowness. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife and so on, and they're all there just simply to trap him. So Jesus said to them, is not this why you are wrong? What you know that you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? This is our loving savior saying, you're wrong. <laughs> That's healing. The scalpel cuts to heal. And our Lord is getting through their narrowness, the, the blockage. I'm thinking that a little bit myself these days because I've got a little cataract in here which are gonna go, in about a month we're gonna get out. But uh, they kind of clog up the eyes I think you're out there, I believe you are. Although, oh, there you are, yes, yes. But for the last several years, things have been getting fuzzier and fuzzier. And I hope, God willing, that after about a month from now, I'm gonna have an operation, I'll be able to have clear lens to see again, not, it clouds. Apparently, I found out going to the doctor that over, as you get older, and I'm well over 39 right now, um, as you get older, it can happen that the, the lens of the eye just gets a little cloudy and cloudier and then, you know, just something fuzzy between you and what's out there. So you got to, well, they're going to, I hope, I'm going to replace it with something clear. Well, that's it. It's just not why you're wrong that you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. They had allowed their vision to become cloudy slowly perhaps over time as cataracts develop. And we can have them in our physical bodies and you can have an operation, I hope, that will fix it. But there are certain cataracts of the eye of the mind that can form without us noticing them. And we become like the Sadducees, kind of not seeing clearly. And maybe the Lord will say to us, is this not why you are wrong? He's chipping away, getting him out, trying to clear it up. So maybe what we could do is, first of all, ask the Lord to help us, give us clear vision, that we may see, see God, see our neighbor, see them with love, and not see them as people to be manipulated or trapped or made use of, the way the Sadducees were doing when they were trying to play with with Jesus, our Lord and God, but also just trying to maneuver with someone else. They weren't seeing straight. Say, pray the Lord to give us clear vision of the glory of the resurrection, of the presence of God in our life, and to see the good, to see the presence of God in the people around us, not as people to be used or trapped, people to be loved. And Jesus said to them, is not this why you are wrong? That you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. We need to know both. The scriptures, which are light for our path. The power of God in our lives. The scriptures and the power of God. And yet they were quoting from the part of scripture that was their favorite, the first five books of Moses. 
but they couldn't know it because they were not approaching the word of God with a, an honest heart, with clear sight. They were using the Torah like an ax. They weren't listening to God, saying, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. They were saying instead, listen, Lord, your servant is speaking. And whenever we flip it, that's just no good. We don't see the word of God. We begin to impose into it our own will. And then we use the word of God. And that's wrong. And they do not recognize the power of God. They were powerful people in their own time, the Sadducees. They were wealthy and powerful. And perhaps for that reason, although we can all be this way, they did not recognize amazing grace, the power of God to touch the heart and change our lives. Instead, they got caught up in little games, little games. That can happen, it happened in the church. Believe me, it can happen in the church. Politicking, all this kind of stuff, you know, maneuvering. It's amazing. Not that I would ever have uh, seen any of that, but anyway, it can happen. <laughs> oh my. So Jesus said to them, these happy words, these words of joy, is this not right? You are wrong <laughs> that you know neither the scriptures nor the word of the power of God. Let's just ask the Lord to help us. Help me, Lord, to see you, to hear you, to love you, to follow you. Not to be caught up in my own agenda, my own ego, clouding my sight that I may just see your words with humble obedience, listen to you as you speak, and beware, aware of your power, the wind beneath my wings, which keeps me, brings me home. Let us surrender our lives to that and ask the Lord to help us to have such a humble spirit. And Jesus said to them, is not this why you are wrong, that you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage but are like angels in heaven. They were using this image, this example from the law of marriage of the Old Testament, which has been now surpassed, in a very narrow way. And they were using a vision of the resurrection, which they were making a kind of a parody or a mockery of the faith in the resurrection. They could see the future as being just simply like reanimating a dead body. That they thought is what the resurrection was or some kind of thing where the world we are in sort of continues just in a second edition. But the Lord says, no, no, we can hear we are more of this when St. Paul speaks in Corinthians about what the resurrection is, the glory, the majesty beyond our imagination. It is the glory of the Lord's coming and of our own experience of the resurrection of the body. Is this not why you are wrong? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage but are like angels in heaven. And this is one of the great statements and uh, blessings which consecrates the, the great sacrament of marriage. We find several throughout the scriptures, the wedding feast of Cana being one and several passages in St. Paul. Marriage is one of the great sacraments. In fact, we just had a synod for three long weeks on marriage and the family. It is to help in this world, as we pass through this world, to help people be co-creators with God of new human life, to, to produce within this world an image of the Trinity within our, our families, to do our best to do that. All of us come from families that we pray are be blessed in that way. And yet marriage itself, glorious as it is, as a reflection of the glory of God, is for this world, to bring God into this world, but it isn't for eternity. It isn't 
that. It is something oriented to bring God's love into this world. I remember once when I was preparing someone for, for marriage, you, you ask a question, a little form one, and I asked the question, do you believe that marriage is a covenant which will be ended only by death? And the person said, no. I thought, what do I do now? I'd just been ordained. I never expected that answer. I thought you're supposed to say say yes. But I thought that's probably not what they would want me to do. So I said, oh, you don't believe that? No. Our marriage, our love is for eternity. I said, well, I hope it's up to and including death. Yes, okay, fine. (laughs) Done. But it was eternity. Well, it's a beautiful thought, except I don't think it really worked out that way, sad to say, in that case. But marriage is a great gift, and we need to celebrate and be thankful for it. But it always points towards something beyond, to the great love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's also true of celibacy or consecrated virginity for the sake of the kingdom of God, which is also, in a sense, referred to here, which is also oriented towards the love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but making a sign of that in this world. So all of us are serving God in different ways. That's a sublime vision. And yet the Sadducees were kind of looking down. They had a very, like they're aiming too low. Very narrow, materialistic view of things. And that's why Jesus says, you are wrong. Do you not know that neither the scriptures nor the power of God, for when they rise from the dead, They neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Let's pray the Lord to help each one of us to have a vision that is sublime, that is the vision of God's glory, whether we be married or single or in the state of consecrated virginity, that the vision of the Lord may guide us through this world until finally all sacraments shall cease and we are with the Lord in glory. Then we will, if we have our eyes on the prize, we will then be able to live whatever our vocation is in this world worthily, joyfully, and not in a kind of a constricted way, which was the problem of the Sadducees. They were aiming too low. It reminds me of somebody, a very big, uh, important person, saying not that long ago that heroic sanctity is not for Christians. Of course not. Well, no, it is. The Feast of All Saints. We're all called to be saints not just to kind of aim low, but aim high, whether we're married or single or celibate or whatever. We're meant to be, heroic sanctity is the norm. We're all called to that. And we fall short, fair enough, too often, but God gives us his grace to lift us up again. So maybe let's just uh, ask the Lord to help us have the vision of glory at every moment in our lives, whatever our struggles may be. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. Again, our Lord, reach out to save them and help them by saying you're wrong. He challenges them with words that will help them. Here is simply a a point he's making about their very limited perspective they would accept only the books of Moses. So he goes back to Exodus, to the burning bush. They would, accept, they would accept that. That's part of the scripture they believed in. And he said, at the burning bush, God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now they had died before Moses. So they were dead. And yet, why was he say, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if they were not really alive with the resurrection. And so what our Lord does is simply he proves the resurrection and life after death from the very books which the Sadducees read and could not see that it was there before their very eyes because their eyes were clouded over with their own very narrow perspective of things.
And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the first of all? That's not a bad question. Which commandment is the first of all? This is something asked in the Jewish days and the rabbis would say, which is the first? They had 613 many you know, commandments, but which is the first? This is a great idea to, to think of. We need to focus on you know, the, what is most important and the rest will follow from that. It's wise in you know, the use of time. You have the old 80-20 rule. 80% of the value is found in 20% of the pages of the book. So go for those and you've got most of it already. 80% of the items in a to-do list are, you know, 80% of the value is found in 20% of the items. So which are, which the trouble is, which are they? That's the problem. So which is the first commandment? Which commandment is most important? I think we need to, in our own faith, always be thinking of that. What is first? What is greatest? How can I really live my life to the full and not get caught up in things which are, are not of such great importance? Which is first? Which is greatest? We always have to ask that day by day, moment by moment. What is the best way I can be using my time right now? What is the first? What is the greatest? What is the best way to do it? And Jesus answered, the first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the great prayer of the Jewish people. Shema Israel. This is it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. We're not called to, to love God in a kind of a small way, like the Sadducees who are kind of narrow and constricted. This is what uh, Ignatius Loyola in his great, take Lord, receive all my liberty, my memory, understanding, my entire will, you have given all to me, now I return it. Give me only your love and your grace. That's enough for me. Your love and your grace are enough for me. It's the pearl of great price for which we sell everything for that. And so in our life as Christians, we need to be people who will live our life to the full. Whatever our vocation is, wherever God places us, whatever moment we find ourselves in, to love God all the way with heart and mind and soul because we can make of our faith a kind of a partial thing a sort of um, one of the things in our life and that just doesn't work it's just not real so let's just think about that my love of god is it what our lord calls us to Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Am I doing that? Am I trying to do that? What's holding me back from doing that? Just ask the Lord to help us in that right now. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the last seven commandments. Love the Lord your God with heart and mind and soul is the first three. Love God, love neighbor. As I often say when I go to schools, and I say to the students, don't worry about your tests and exams. They're not worth anything at all. They all like that part. The only exam that we ever get that's really worth anything is the one at the end of our life. And it's one of those ones, the worst kind of exam is when you have the questions ahead of time, so you can't, no excuses. And that's when, whenever it may be, two seconds, 30 days, 50 years from now, whatever it is, and the years go by, it's... Uh, 
more likely be days and weeks or months rather than decades, when we come before the Lord, expectedly or not, and all he's going to ask us on that day is, have you loved the Lord your God with heart and mind and soul? And have you loved your neighbor as yourself? This is it. This is it. The heart of it all. And if we say, well, I was rather popular, I was quite successful, I made a lot of money, I did a lot of... No, that's not irrelevant. Uh, health is going to be a tad um, unimportant on that day. <laughs> and wealth and fame and popularity and success and all the other little trinkets we go after. The question is, have you loved the Lord your God with heart and mind and soul? And have you loved your neighbor as yourself? That's it. And of course, as St. John tells us in, in his letter, how can I love the God I do not see if I do not love the neighbor I do see? That's the way it works. One of the ways we love God is by worshiping God in the sacraments and the Eucharist above all in times of adoration. But that means to move out to, to love our neighbor. And in the loving of our neighbor, we show the authenticity of our love of God. The two are like concave and convex. They're not two different worlds. They're joined together. I love God and move out to love neighbor, and then I show my love of God by my love of neighbor. They're together. It's like Mother Teresa. An hour of adoration before our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, the celebration of the Holy Eucharist, the rest of the day on the street, helping the needy. Back and forth, back and forth. Come and go. Come to worship the Lord come to hear his word, go to serve our neighbor. But we can't be serving our neighbor unless we're loving our God. I remember once seeing a sign as I was driving along in a place in the States. What is it? Um, helping others is my God. No, God is our God. And helping others flows from that. So we can't just be busy, busy, just doing things. Helping others is a sign of our love of God. And it is also what makes authentic our, the fact we really are loving God. So the two of them have to be joined together. And we always stumble in that. You know, we're all sinners and frail. But we got to get that right. And so maybe what we should do now is just a little moment of asking God's mercy for the times we have not loved God and loved neighbor or have not seen how they go together. May the Lord help us to Love the God we do not see in loving the neighbor we do, and know how to recognize God in the neighbor we do see by our worship of the Lord whom we do not see, but whom we encounter most profoundly on this earth until we see him face to face in the great glory and majesty of the Holy Eucharist, in our times at the Eucharist and our times of adoration of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, who sends us out, go, to wash dirty feet of your neighbor and show your love. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, with to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. This is a sign of the divinity of Christ. That he could look into someone and say, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Just as on the cross, he said to the repentant thief, this day you shall be with me in paradise. You are not far from the kingdom of God. And it was because he knew what matters, that the kingdom of God is the presence of God in this world, in our hearts and in our lives. And to know that loving God with heart and mind and soul, not just a little way, giving God little offerings of ourselves, the whole self. That's what it's all about, and to do the same with our neighbor. And 
whole offerings and sacrifices. There were bulls and things offered on the altar in the temple. But the sacrifice which matters most, which is the way we offer worship to God and love to neighbor, is time. Our money is external. Our things are outside of us. But our lives, we are woven out of time. That's what we're made of, time. And when I give time to my neighbor, I give myself. When I write a check, I give cash. But when I give time, I give myself. For we are made of time. When I give time to the Lord in prayer, so that I may know how to love my neighbor and know how to love the Lord God, then I give myself. That's why in our times of prayer, the very gift of the time is itself the prayer. You know, we may be spending time before our Lord, especially if we're spending time in adoration before the Lord or at any time in our prayer. We may think it's not really there. Oh, I'm not getting all the thrill I'd like. I'm not lifting off or whatever, you know, I'm just feeling kind of bored. And somebody once said, when I'm praying, my mind is like a tree full of monkeys. Just click, 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 you know. And yet, if I've given time, that is the prayer itself. Now, I should try to keep my mind focused and maybe pray the Jesus prayer or something to do that or the rosary. But the time is the gift itself. That's why the great Bishop Sheen recommended to priests to spend one hour every day in adoration before our Lord and the Blessed Sacrament. And one of them said, oh, I'm too busy doing God's work to do that. He said, well, spend two hours then. A very wise young man once said to me something his father told him. If you're too busy to pray, you're too busy. And so it's time, which is the texture of love. It's the substance of love. And that means giving time to those who are lonely and caring and in need, recognizing them because we're not so caught up in ourselves, and giving time little moments and some blocks of time as well to come before the Lord and ask his mercy and adore him and love him and thank him and ask him to be with us in our lives. I think that's what joins together the love of God and love of neighbor. You're not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any question. So he's polished off the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, now, and so he asked them a question now, which is a kind of a, that's the way he kind of ties a bow around this set of things. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? David himself, inspired by the Holy Spirit, declared, this is the Psalm, Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand and I will put my enemies under thy feet. The Lord, meaning God, said to the king, my Lord, sit at my right hand. And this was taken to mean the Messiah. No, it was originally for the coronation of the earthly king of Israel, uh, Judah. But it was very soon, one of the Messianic Psalms, the Lord, the ultimate Lord is the Messiah. So how can David say, God said to the Messiah, sit at my right hand till I put enemies under his feet. So David himself calls him Lord. So how can he be his son? The son of David is one of the titles of the Messiah. And the great throng heard him gladly. The Messiah is the Lord. Ultimately, it is not just the son of David, which the Lord is in a certain sense Remember Bartimaeus by the side of the road saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But he is the Lord, the Lord of all. He's gone far beyond the foreshadowing in Psalm 110. And in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to go about in long robes and to have salutations in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. 
Now, he probably wasn't thinking of the young scribe who talked to him earlier. He said, you're not far from the kingdom of heaven. So being a scribe is, with the long robes was not in itself a problem. But some scribes were not like the other one. <laughs> they were using the office of scribe, a learned teacher of the people, with the robes that went with it and everything, to push, to vaunt themselves. Well, they were using it. I guess that's the point. They're using their office, which was to teach the people, to get perks for themselves. That's what I always, when I was in my former life as a preparing young men for the priesthood, I always say, you know, the priesthood, we don't ever use the priesthood. That's clericalism. It's too low. It's a Sadducee view of the priesthood. It's too low an estimation. The holy priesthood of Jesus Christ is so sublime that we never use it to get anything. That's why I always say when, you know, if you're a priest, wear your Roman collar all the time. It's a sign of Christ. You know, people come out, want to go to confession. Very good. Except when you're buying a car. <laughs> Remember the last time I actually did buy a car a while ago, and I forgot. I, actually, I did have the Roman collar in, but I, I forgot. But fortunately, the, the salesman's name was Mohammed, so I don't think he knew. He said, yes, sir. <laughs> I didn't even think. But the point is, the point is that, you know, the long robes, well, I find the long robes, as I found it, are best for because especially with my eyes, I'm tripping over them all the time, but that's not what the Lord's talking about. But the, you know, the, each one of us has an office in different ways, bishop, big hat, the whole bit, you know. Uh, those are signs of something beyond us, and they should make us fill us with reverence for it, and not, but never to be used. Just as in our various, each one of us has different things, maybe not so obvious, where we have an office of service to other people, husband, wife, parent, child, mother, father. These are noble offices of service, of love, but we should never use our position, whatever it may be, for our own pushing ourselves over other people, but always for the service of others. That's why, you know, the great um, um, title for the Pope is not only vicar of Christ and Pope and stuff like that, it's servant of the servants of God. So the scribes are supposed to be like the younger one, the, fir the first one, who, who was not far from the kingdom of God. And the symbols of his office would be a sign of a greater service, not being used by him to flaunt or to manipulate or to get personal perks and benefits um, at the advantage of other people, to hurt other people. We gotta have a purer view, a higher view of whatever offices we hold within life that they are for the service of love of God and love of neighbor. And the Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the wife and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and when he died, left no children. And the second took her and he died leaving no children. And the third likewise, and the seven left no children. And last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, whose wife will she be? for the seven had her as wife. And Jesus said to them, is not this why you are wrong, that you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the first of all? And Jesus answered, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other but he. 
and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any question. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, inspired by the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I put thy enemies under thy feet. And David himself called him Lord, so how can he be his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to go about in long robes and to have salutations in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.